Welcome to the Starnet Regions 1 and 3 podcast. Illinois Starnet envisions a future where early childhood professionals and families have the supports needed to provide all children with a high-quality, equitable education in inclusive environments. Starnet's mission is to promote evidence-based inclusive practices for young children with disabilities, professional development to support educators and families, meaningful child outcomes through innovative and engaging learning experiences. To find out more about Starnet Regions 1 and 3, please visit starnet.org home. Welcome. I'm Connie Sugar, Project Director with Starnet Regions 1 and 3. We're excited to be collaborating with Early Choices in this podcast series highlighting preschool inclusion in Illinois. In our first episode, we listened to Zan Kramer and Megan Vinn discuss high-quality inclusion and the resources and supports available to programs. As we've continued this series, we've had school districts from across Illinois share their stories of the inclusion process. Today, we have the opportunity to learn about East Moline's journey toward inclusion. I want to welcome Melissa McCullough, principal of the East Moline School District 37 Early Learning Center, Emily Ropars, inclusion specialist with Early Choices, Pam Rising-Reckner, inclusion specialist with Early Choices, and Ann Kramer, project director of Early Choices. And I'm going to turn it over to Ann. All right. Thanks, Connie. Super happy to be here today to talk with uh, Melissa and hear the story. Um, but first, I just want to hear everybody, I'll give everybody a chance to say hello so you hear their voice and know who they are. Um, but I'm Anne, the project leader at Early Choices, and we're all about inclusion. So that's exciting that we get to talk about that today. And I'm going to pass it to Pam. Hello, I'm happy to be here today. This is Pam Rising Rickner, and I'm an inclusion specialist with Early Choices. And I'm going to pass it on to Emily. Hi, everybody. This is Emily Ropars with Early Choices. I also am so excited to be here today. I'm always inspired uh, by Melissa and her ever, ever commitment to inclusion. And so I'm going to pass it to you so you can hear Melissa's voice. Thank you so much. Um, I'm Melissa McCullough. I'm the principal here for the East Moline Early Learning Center, and it is great to be here. And I'm so excited to share how far we've come in our journey. Awesome. Thanks so much, everybody. Um, and so just to remind everyone, um, I think in each podcast we've done this, but I want to make sure that we uh, kind of touch base with um, the definition of inclusion and kind of keep that focus. Um, we use the, the definition from the joint statement from NACI, which is the National Association for the Education of Young Children, and the Division of Early Childhood, DEC, of the Council for Exceptional Children. Um, and so that kind of frames our conversation today and kind of gives us um, kind of like a touchstone. And so really, when we look at that definition, it talks about the values and policies and practices that support the right of every infant and young child, um, regardless of their ability to participate in um, family, community, and society. And it isn't just about the children. It also includes their families, right? Because they're so integral into, um, each, each of our little, little people's lives. Um, and that the, the whole, uh, results that we're looking for are about belonging and membership, 
positive social relationships and friendships, and of course, development to reach their full potential. So um, we use this as our touchstone. And so we'll kind of, as we work through our conversation today, I'm sure all those words will come back, right? <laughs> as we're, as we're talking about the journey that we, that we have had with um, East Moline here in Illinois. So um, Pam, do you, um, I'm going to let you kind of chat with Melissa because you started right from the beginning way back when. Yes. Thanks, Anne. Um, so uh, fortunate to have worked with Melissa all this time and um, so impressed with uh, your leadership and commitment to inclusion, Melissa. Um, but first of all, just for everyone to know a little bit more about your district, can you tell us um, about your district, about you know what's been going on in your, um, in your area, uh, anything else you want to share about your district itself? Sure. Thanks, Pam. Again, it's been a pleasure working with you all these years, too. I think I remember our first um, meeting or phone call when you worked at ISBE um, when I was a school social worker, and we started um, kind of talking about inclusion a long time ago. So it's great to be here again. Um, so for those that don't know, um, the East Moline School District, um, we are a, a pre-K through eight district um, in Illinois. Um, our total enrollment for the dis district is about 2,500 students. Uh, for early childhood, we are funded through the Preschool for All grant um, for about 187 students. Um, this year, we are over our enrolled or over our capacity uh, because we have students that are just, we keep finding them, so they keep coming, which is great. Uh, we like to be able to serve as many children as we can. Um, but for our district, um, just a little background from our district report card or some of our demographics, um, we have 90 percent, uh, 97, excuse me, percent of our students are low income learners. Uh, 26 percent are English language learners. We have a 14 percent mobility rate and about 18 percent of our student population um, has an IEP. Um, so. For our district, um, we have quite a few challenges and we have a lot of diversity to celebrate. Um, and so uh, it might come up later in our conversation, but in other in other conversations that we've had with other districts, they say, um, you know, if if your student population is is this or that, then it's you know, you, it's really hard. There's too many challenges with inclusion or um, is serving all of those uh, diverse learners. But if we can do it, anybody can do it. So. That's great to know. Thanks for that information about your district. Um, and so thinking back to our very first phone call when I was at ISBE and you were a social worker, um, can you sort of take us through your journey uh, of inclusion and how you um, how you made that happen? Sure. So I think back then, it was maybe like 2017, 2018, um, and right around that time, we were looking at rewriting the RFP. It was a recompete year for PFA, and um, during that time, you know, we kind of had word that we were, that the RFPs would be looking for including more opportunities for students with disabilities and more inclusive opportunities. So um, we knew that at that point we really started, we needed to start thinking about changing our 
programming and changing the way that we did things here in East Moline. Um, at that time, I think our Indicator 6 data, um, because at that time we were also being invited to the roundtable meetings because we were out of compliance with our Indicator 6 data. Um, and so we really kind of used some of that data to help springboard the need and, and get other people to sort of listen to the, re the rationale behind why we needed to change and make that shift. Um, in addition to the fact that we wanted to be funded, we wanted to continue to have and expand our funding. And so we wanted to write a really good proposal and serve um, children in the best way that we knew how. So um, also important to note back then, I think it was 2018, 19, our indicator six data in uh, showed that we were including about 24% of our early childhood students um, in, a, in a general education setting. And we've come a long way since then. Um, but that was kind of part of the, the rationale back then to make that shift was that um, changing the mo model and um, including those opportunities in that RFP. We were funded. Um, we weren't funded for exactly everything we wanted, but we did. Um, we were we did receive funding for additional slots and um, and making sure that we had all of those things embedded in our proposal, um, including work with early choices that really helped to then start that process and figure out wh where to go from there. So some of those early steps were taking a look at your data and um, looking at maybe some resources that you might use to um, work with your staff um, in that programmatic change. Were there any other um, steps that you took in the beginning that you feel are important to share with our yes. audience? Yes, actually. Um, so kind of sharing that data and looking at the, um, the indicator six data and then that RFP for preschool for all. Um, that really was pivotal for me to get the support from the district perspective or the district standpoint, um, talking with the superintendent, collaborating with our director of special education, really looking at the financial piece and the compliance piece really was that served that component. But then when you talk about the things that we needed to do as a staff and to build the capacity in our staff, um, I would say even before before having that RFP come out, we really started that process of, of doing some surveys of our staff, really looking at um, reflection, looking at our beliefs and attitudes. Um, I tried to sort of embed those things secretly or in baby steps, you know, I wanted to make sure that it wasn't, um, it wasn't too strong. I didn't come on too strong, but I wanted to make sure that, that I was embedding a lot of little things here and there to start to really look at um, what our attitudes and beliefs were, where our challenges would be, and figure out how to then support staff along the way. Um, I mentioned early choices and the partnership that we have had, and that was, instrumental um, in pulling um, pulling some of the things together to really support our staff. Um, also, we had a strong partnership with Starnet. We still do. Thank you, Connie. Um, and so uh, having the support of focus group members and the support of any trainings that we would need and seeking those out and bringing those to our staff um, 
that was huge as well to just be able to embed those tiny pieces of professional development, build that with the staff and let the staff kind of help us to determine where we needed to go. I knew that my understanding and my journey with inclusion began well before I came to this district. And so I might have took for granted the fact that a lot of people maybe hadn't had that same experience or change is hard for people. And so kind of starting where they were and and backing up to figure out where we needed to to build those pieces in to have that strong foundation um that was that was something that we needed to identify through the staff surveys through just those reflections and having some open and honest conversations um you know having a safe place to be able to have those conversations so people feel you know it's it, it can be a vulnerable thing to put yourself out there and and share some of the experiences that you've had in the past that maybe didn't work with inclusion or maybe a mindset or a belief that you have had from a personal experience that is playing out in the work that you're doing with children and has you know shaped the way that you view how children should be educated so we really needed to get those things out in the open so that we could tackle those and and figure out where those where all of our staff members needed that support. Um, another step, I, I'm sorry if I'm taking too long on this question, but another step um, that we knew that we needed to kind of build in was just kind of building that capacity in our educators that had primarily been working with special education or self-contained settings. And so they maybe didn't have the same knowledge base of the curriculum for all students, or they maybe didn't have the same knowledge base of Eckers, you know, the monitoring piece that we um, that we needed to be aware of. Um, and so building those into the, the part of our staff that hadn't had a lot of um, general education experience, and then also bringing the, the staff along that really was primarily a general education um, educator so that we could provide the support for them for IEP writing, the special education background, as far as, you know, local cooperative types of things. Uh, we belong to a, a BASED, our local special education cooperative. So understanding how our worlds fit together so that everybody felt supported in whatever way they needed. I remember some staff meetings and trainings that we had in the very beginning and uh, and how far everyone has come along. And, and I really uh, applaud that. Um, are there any other uh, big accomplishments in your journey that you would like to talk about? You mentioned quite a few things. Is there anything else? I don't want to miss anything that you feel oh, is important. Gosh. I'm very proud of the staff that we have. I'm proud of our families, our students. It takes everyone to make it work. Um, and so we've had a ton of accomplishments. Wow. I don't know that we have enough time today to talk about all of them. Um, one of the things that I think was an accomplishment or something that we did right um, from the beginning is we did take a site visit. Um, and that was, I think it you know, we had some conversation with you guys about that, and um, you helped us to select a district. Um, it was Schomburg that um, had been doing inclusion and was very receptive to having us come. So we, a lot of our staff members were able to travel there, and we spent a day just observing and kind of taking it all in, taking pictures, having conversations with even some of the related service personnel to just see how how it all worked and how 
um, what was successful for them. And for, for our people, I think they just needed to be able to see it, to believe it. They needed, you know, we talked earlier about the demographics and, you know, sometimes it's, well, they can do that because they have more staff or they can do that because they don't have the same types of challenges or needs that we have. But I think it was great for us to be able to see it in action and be able to kind of squash some of those myths or squash some of those um, ideologies where, you know, it, it can't happen or we can't make it work. So that was a big deal. And it was a, a piece of professional development that was different than, you know, sitting through a training or listening to people talk. We actually physically went somewhere, saw it happen, were able to talk and answer the questions. And then we brought a lot of that great information back and kind of um, built that ownership around what we needed to do from there. So I think that was a, a pretty good accomplishment as far as being able to to support them in a different way. Um, we do a lot of, you know, celebrating. Um, we do a lot of reflecting and shout outs and celebrations. So I think just keeping that top of mind, um, keeping continuously keeping it on the forefront of what's working well. Um, as far as just, I guess, you know, accomplishments, um, the the demo or the indicator six data that we talked about. Um, I think I mentioned that we were at about twenty four percent inclusion um, back in eighteen nineteen, and in the last year, the twenty one twenty two data, we've jumped up to ninety four percent. So ninety four percent of our students are included in a general education environment. So that kind of speaks for itself. That's a huge accomplishment. Um, because we have done what it takes to make sure that we are providing those classroom settings and not just making it look good on paper. We're, it's not just the numbers. We are actually building those interventions, building the accommodations, building the capacity in our staff so that we're making we're making it work and, um, and doing it well and doing what's right for kids. Um, I have an example actually of a couple of weeks ago um, like I said, just keeping it on on top of mind and in the forefront of um, what we're doing well with students, we had we use creative curriculum here in our district, and um, right now, or we just finished the clothing study, and so most all of our classrooms were about on the same time frame as far as interest level with the students and and completing that study, and so we planned um, through PLC. Uh, we meet regularly twice a week. Our our staff uh, through PLC we we planned a culminating event for the clothing study, um, and that was going to be a fashion show. And so we we planned a fashion show. Um, so we had children um, making clothing in the classrooms. They made handbags. They made head coverings. They made, you name it. They were creative and they were, were making things in their classroom. And so um, on the day of the fashion show, we had the hallway ready. We had a red carpet rolled out. It was actually just construction paper, but they didn't care. They loved it. Um, and we had all the classrooms bring their light tables out so we could have some light light show going on. I was sort of the MC. Um, and so we had all of the classrooms kind of come as a school family um, and join in the hallway. And then each classroom took a turn kind of going down the runway and showing off the wares and showing off what they created with the clothing. And it was a great time. It was very joyful. There was a lot of um, showcasing of learning. And um, it kind of then emerged into after the, the little runway show, we had a dance party, an impromptu dance party. 
And uh, we have an amazing family educator. She's also uh, very skilled at photography and videography. So she created this great video then to share with families to showcase this culminating event. And it was, I think, as we were watching the video, um, that it kind of dawned on all of us how amazing that was for all of our students because everyone was able to participate in any way. You know, it, it was a little overstimulating for some, but we made sure that we were prepared with headphones or, you know, a seat that was just kind of off to the side if they needed to just kind of take a break. Um, and so it was just awesome, too, to just see how the students that we we weren't sure how they were going to do, um, they shined, you know, they participated, they loved it. Um, so they were able to show us some skills that we haven't been able to see in a classroom yet. Um, and so I think that's an accomplishment, those types of activities that we provide for all of our students. Um, because when we think about years ago, not that long ago, when we had classrooms that children with um, special education needs were in a separate classroom and maybe didn't have access to the participation in all of those activities. And so we're able to um, prepare for them as a team, including our occupational therapists and social workers and psychologists and speech pathologists, so that we're we're prepared for those types of things so that we're setting everybody up for a successful experience and a memory. Um, so that was that was those types of things. I, we also had a winter program this year. Um, and again, kind of historically, some of those activities were separated. You know, we had a separate winter program or um, back in the day, we would have maybe like a promotion. I, I know it's not a graduation, but if, <laughs> we would have a, a celebration at the end of the year for those going on. And um, our mindset before was, well, some students can't handle those types of situations. Some students might need a smaller setting for that. And so we'll have the parents come in on a different day. We'll do a different graduation. We'll do a different program. But um, we've continued to make progress with those. And this year we had a, a winter program. We have a brand new school. We have a brand new building. And so we wanted to make sure that we had a family engagement opportunity for families to come in and do things in person. Because, again, you know, the last couple of years we haven't been able to do that kind of thing. So we had... Um, it was a brand new experience for all of us, just the coordination of a program that way. Um, and we practiced, we did, we made social stories. We practiced social stories. We had, we came to an agreement as a staff. These are the things that we need to do to front load all of our students to be prepared for this type of an event. And um, we did that. We, like I said, we created videos of ourselves doing the motions and singing the songs. And um, we had the students watching them. We also were fortunate to be able to have a space in our building that we could set up ahead of time with a stage type of an area so that we were able to not just practice in the classroom with the songs and the finger plays, but also actually physically have the children come down and practice as real as it could be before the event so that they could have that memory. They could they could have that practice and repetition. And then again, providing alternate seating, alternate activities, all the things that we knew that we might need. And so uh, we reflected on that type of an experience, too, and, and said, if there was ever a testimonial to preparing and all of the repetition that that is needed to take place for an event that, 
you know, you never know sometimes how children are going to perform, but it was great. And the families, we were able to provide a great opportunity for families to come in and see their child perform with everybody together. So there's no separate programs. There's no separate um, activities anymore. It's just, they're all our kids. That's so exciting. I love hearing those experiences. Thank you for sharing that. Um, have you had any thoughts or, or um, ideas about what might be next for your program? Yes. Um, I mean, the sustainability of um, inclusive practices and inclusive programming is something that we're always working towards and working on. Um, so just continuing to make um, to make gains in that area, continuously reflecting on um, how far we've come and um, and being prepared for anything that might arise. Um, um, as far as next steps, we just want to continue, you know, to keep the the momentum going. Um, in our district, the transition from early childhood to elementary programming. Um, we try to make that as seamless as possible, so we'll continue to work on that. Um, we want to make sure that we're setting children up for the best future and the best elementary programming as possible. So that means conversations early on with our um, elementary teams, elementary principals, our special education director to make sure that we're having those transition conversations early and um, building in what the, the children need or what we anticipate that they're going to need when they go on. Um, just continue, just continue with what we're doing. Um, I think we always, it's kind of like a, you know, a, a continuous loop or a continuous cycle. Um, we do have new staff that come on board. Um, we have people that retire. We have new ones that join us. And so just continuing to be mindful too of the fact that it, the work isn't done. You know, we're not here. We're still moving. Um, so we need to continue to build that capacity and go back and, and rebuild if we need to, but continue to build that capacity in all of our staff. Um, I think some family partnerships, we're, we're doing an, a really nice job with building those family partnerships and, um, and talking more openly about inclusive opportunities for all children. Um, we have a parent advisory council that meets to kind of talk about just all things related to our school day and events and things like that. But um, I would like to add that too as part of our ongoing agenda and ongoing partnership with families just to, to get families more involved as well. So, Melissa, one of the things that I can see, and I think we all can from the outside, is that you have this commitment and passion for inclusion. And we started the podcast with that overall definition of inclusion. But I'd really like to hear your personal touchstone as you're thinking about keeping moving this work forward. Where do you draw your uh, inspiration from for inclusion? I think from our students our staff and students um, sharing those stories and finding um, little celebrations and seeing it happen, seeing the benefit um, for all students, not just the child with the disability, but the children that are um, that are are supporting our our all of our children in the classroom, seeing that connection, um, seeing those examples where we reflect on it and then we say, yeah, that's inclusion. Yeah, this is inclusion. Um, and so celebrating and keeping that, like I said, top of mind, we have um, 
we have some collective commitments from a staff perspective um, that we want to ensure high levels of learning for all children. Um, so we do weekly shout outs and we try to tie them to one of our collective commitments. Um, we do a lot of celebrating and I just try to um, also whenever whenever we see something that happens that's, you know, a celebration or something positive, then we we bring that up and we talk about it and we reflect on it because I think we get too busy, you know, in the day to day that we lose sight of, wow, that is something that you really as a teacher, you really worked hard to build that visual schedule or intervention and you're doing it every day. But from somebody who hasn't been in your classroom for a couple of weeks you really need to know how awesome you are and how awesome the the child has responded to that. So the inspiration, I think, just comes from seeing it, it happen and seeing it work. Um, that's what kind of fills our cup. Also, just finding the people that, you know, like you guys, you know, finding the people that are your tribe and the people that are that are there to support you and that have the same beliefs and core, value, core values. Um, we recently just did the four-part series training with Christy and Julie with Inclusive Schooling. Um, it was the Circles from the Start training. And so uh, not everyone was able to partake in the training, but those of us that did really just, it's so great to just be in a space and share conversations and share the celebrations, share the challenges that occur, because there are some. Um, and then just be able to work through those and celebrate together. So I think that inspiration too um, just continues. We can share if we can be inspired and passionate, and then we share it with maybe one other person on our staff, you know, or we do it through a PLC or a staff meeting where we can learn together. Then um, that kind of keeps keeps us passionate about what we're doing, that we're doing the right thing. Well, it seems clear to me from listening to you that your perspective as a social worker and understanding what people need to be successful and honoring their own journey has had a huge component to moving your forward, your program forward and in, in your leadership. That seems very clear to me. I hear that through all that you're saying that you knew where you were at, but you needed to bring people along. And I hear a lot about you um, respecting your staff as professionals too and bringing them with you. Thank you. I can't take all the credit though, but I will say that it does require leadership that's um, passionate. It takes a lot of guts. It takes a lot of courage to put yourself out there and to keep going even when it gets hard. Um, and so it takes a champion in the words of Bridget Brown, you know, it takes a, a champion to be able to do this work and it is hard and it's, but when you know it's the right thing to do, um, it's easy to keep moving. And like I said, I can't take all the credit because it really is like that leadership component is so very important to be, you know, to be the person that kind of continues to keep the work moving. But it's our staff and it's our students and that are that have that commitment. And they're the ones they're like the, the unsung heroes they are the ones that are there every day. And they're in the moment and they're making decisions and they're um, bringing their best self to their work every day. And so I am very proud of the team that we have and how far we've come with them. Thank you so much, Melissa. I, I, as I was listening, the theme that I heard was celebrating all of those successes along the way just breeds more success, right? Like by taking that time to celebrate, like we did this and look at, you know, and we've explored this and we added this and look at us now. Um, really helps continue with that um, 
with growing. And then, as you said, looking at your sustainability, it's just a spiral, right? Like you're going to keep adding new staff. You're going to keep adding, I don't know what, what, what the future holds, right? So as, um, as our landscape changes in terms of funding and um, focus and whatnot, we'll keep, we'll keep supporting you guys as you move ahead through that. Thank you. I appreciate that because you guys have been very, you guys have been a, a big part of the the work that we've done here in East Moline. So I applaud your efforts and the support that you provide to all programs across the state. It's very important. And I've, um, I've had some conversations with other district leaders here in our district. And, and as much as I've shared with them about the support that you provide, they've kind of mentioned they wish that, that the support was there for, for all the grade levels or for all those levels, because it's important beyond early childhood as well. Exactly. We don't stop once they turn five, right? We got to no. keep moving. And so we'll, we'll, I don't know what, what will happen, but we'll get there. Well, I want to thank you all for uh, being on this podcast with us. And um, I think the things that uh, Emily and and Anne just talked about that stood out to them were things that I had made notes about as well. And I think one of the other pieces was the importance of that team working together in advance of activities um, or events to make sure that they're anticipating whatever might happen so that they can support kids so that they're all successful in whatever we're doing with them, that they all have the same opportunities. And then uh, one of the other things is just that last piece about that it takes a leader that's passionate. And I can say every one of you that are on here with me today, as I listen to you talk about inclusion, you can just hear the passion in your voices and how important it is. And and I like that, Melissa, you said when you're passionate about it and you believe in it, it's easy, but yet it's hard, right? I mean, it, we have to keep going and and continue the work and and know that the people around us change all the time and we need to bring them along with us, as you said. So thank you guys very much and uh, appreciate you joining. Thank you, Connie. Thanks for the invitation to be here. It was great to share our story. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Starnet Regions 1 and 3 podcast. If you have any questions or concerns, please reach out by emailing starnet at wiu.edu or submit a request by clicking on the Request Services tab on our homepage.